Well, today we are in week two of our series, Ridiculous, and I'm hearing from some of you that you are finding yourself using this word a lot now. Uh, Anybody else here throwing the word ridiculous out a little bit more often than in the past? Yeah, okay, good. At least one. Good, good, good. Prove me not a liar. That's awesome. Um, So if you're an old school person like me, uh, you're probably thinking to yourself, my goodness, what in the world are you talking about using ridiculous in God in the same sentence? Because for anybody that's a bit of an old school person, your way of thinking about the word ridiculous is as something that's silly or laughable. You know, if somebody says something that, you know, you're like, man, that's silly, you'd be like, well, that's ridiculous, as if they would do that, you know. Uh, and so there's that angle of ridiculous, that meaning of ridiculous, which is, which is still there. But then there is now, because we are in this time in our lives where we can't seem to think of new words, we just have to use the same words differently. Uh, We're now using the word ridiculous in different ways. So it's like, wow, that was a ridiculous jump. Or the way the Seahawks beat the Broncos last weekend was ridiculous. You know, in other words, it was amazing. It was cool. It was something that it's like inspiring almost. And you're like, wow, the, the team that did that, that was ridiculous the way they played that game or whatever it might be. And so there's these two ways of using the same word. Another word, like we said last week, is the word sick. Remember when sick was sick? Now sick is cool. Well, if it's used in the right context, you know. You look at something, you're like, man, that's sick. And people would be like, really? What's wrong? You know, and you're like, no, 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 that was amazing. That was cool. That was awesome. And so we have these different words that mean the same thing. And we are using the latter version, uh, the latter meaning of the word ridiculous as we're going through this series. I mentioned last week that we're going to go through the life of Elisha. And Elisha was this young man who Elijah came up to, and don't get the two confused, Elijah was this well-known prophet, he's probably one of the most well-known prophets in Scripture, and he comes up to Elisha and he puts his coat on Elisha, and in a sense what Elijah did then is he said, I want you to come and I want you to do what I've been doing. And it's a way of passing the torch, a way of passing the mantle on to Elisha. Elisha, being the young man that he is, he maybe didn't know better or whatever, he, he was like, Elijah, I want a double portion of your anointing. And so Elijah's like, okay, I'll, 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 I'll tell you what, if you see me ascend into heaven, you will get the double portion. And so maybe that was a clever way for the mentor to say, I want you to keep a really close eye on me so that Elisha would never leave him. And a number of times Elijah is like, Elisha, go home. You can go back. You can. And he, every single time Elisha stays with Elijah. And then he does see Elisha, uh, ascend, Elijah ascend into heaven. And in that way, he receives a double portion of the anointing that God had placed on Elijah. Now, This series, I mentioned this last week, and so I want to be very clear again this week. This series is for us Christians. If you're not a Christian and you're here today, I am so glad you're here. But like I said to you last week, this is a series where you can kind of kick your feet up because I'm not really talking to you this series. And so this is maybe a really good series for you to start churching because now you can just look at Christians and say, are you listening? Are you, are you hearing what this pastor's saying? Because maybe you often feel like Christians are pointing the finger at you. Well, now I'm pointing the finger at everyone but you. But we're still really glad you're in the room. We hope you keep coming because we truly believe that this Jesus is the greatest experience and the greatest person that you will ever have in your life. And so we want to encourage you to keep, keep coming. 
Last week we looked at Elisha's call. And we looked at the way that Elijah went and threw his coat around Elisha. And we said these two principles about the ridiculousness of Elisha's call. The first one was this. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. In other words, there are going to be times in your life where God's going to call you to do something and you're going to be sitting there going, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do. I don't fully get what, I, what God wants me to do. Well, the principle is for a ridiculous call, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And I think the downside sometimes for us as believers is we want to understand everything before we jump in. And that's not the way it often works. Very often, we find ourselves missing all kinds of information. But the beauty of a ridiculous call is you don't have to have all the information to already obey. And the second part of it was this. Remember Elisha, he burnt his plow and he, he slaughtered his oxen. And the second part was the less we hold on to, the more likely for God to use us. You see, if we want to keep everything, if we want to hold on to everything, it may become very difficult for God to use us because he has to compete with all the things that we're not willing to let go of. And so today we want to look at ridiculous faith. In the context of our sermon, because we're going through the life of Elisha, the context of our sermon is something like this. There were these three kings who decided to go to battle against the Moabites. And so it's three against one. And so they thought to themselves, this is an easy win. This is going to be a very decisive victory. They really didn't see that there was going to be any kind of problem because here were these three powerful kings going against this one. I think so often in our lives, we may have areas in our lives where we're like, well, that's going to be easy, that's going to be a piece of cake, and then all of a sudden that we find there's something we hadn't equated into the situation. And that's what happens to these kings. They decide to march out to battle. And so they go on a seven-day march through the wilderness, through the, through the desert. And the one thing that they hadn't counted on was the fact that they would have no water. And all of a sudden you have these three kingdoms, these three kings with all their vast armies, and they find themselves completely out of water. They're thirsty, and they haven't even reached the battlefield yet. And so even though they have superior armors, uh, armies, even though they have a clear way of winning the battle, it's as if though they can't even get to the battlefield now because of the fact that they had not calculated into the journey that they would need water. The beauty of a situation like this is that often these kind of situations turn into blessings. I'm sure many of us in this room have had experiences where you went through something really difficult, and even though you weren't enjoying the difficult time, you look back on that time now in your life, and you really wouldn't want to trade it for anything, because this difficult situation has actually now, you would view it as a blessing. It has become a blessing. Any hardship that turns us to God is a blessing. For some of you, you may want to write that down. Because you're going to go through difficulties in life and any hardship that drives us, any hardship that turns us to God is a blessing. And I think sometimes through these hardships we see God being all the more faithful. So here are these three kings. They're finding themselves in a really serious um, problem where they have no water. And so let's pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 3. 
verses 9 to 12, and let's see what unfolds as these kings uh, continue their journey. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. So there's your three kings. Um, king of Israel, king of Judah, and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for their animals. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of the Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here, through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Saphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, the, Lord, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now something that you need to know about these three kings, they are not living for the Lord. They are not serving God in their lives. But now that they have found themselves and now that they are they're in a lot of trouble, just like you and I very often do, we, we don't spend much time with God, but when we find ourselves in a lot of trouble, then all of a sudden, these three kings are back interested in what God has to say. And so all of a sudden now, they're like, okay, let's go see this prophet because we need a lot of help. And most likely they've heard about Elisha in his rookie year. They've heard about how he parted the, the Jordan, which would have been very impressive because it was the exact thing that Elijah did right before he was taken into heaven. Another time he, poured, they, he came across a stream that was polluted and he healed that water. There was another time where some boys were making fun of him and they were calling him bald head, bald head, bald head, and they're making fun of this guy. And Elisha just does what would be seen as normal nowadays. He, he calls two bears out of the woods and he, the bears devour these 40 youth. You know, just a typical way of dealing with being mocked, I guess. Some of you aren't getting that. I'm joking. So you may want to be careful how you tease bald people. You never know what kind of faith they have. Uh, you may end up in a lot of trouble. So these three kings, they've probably heard of Elisha. They've probably heard about the miracles that they've done. And so they're like, you know what? Let's go see this guy. And so here stands Elisha in front of these powerful kings. And so they make their way there. Now verse 13. Elisha said to the king of Israel, What do you want? Let me start over. Why do you want to involve me? Why are you coming to me? Look at what he says. Go to the prophets of your fathers and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. And Elijah is standing here in front of these powerful kings. People who, if they would have wanted to, eat any one of these three kings could have sentenced him to death and Elijah would have been, Elisha would have been dead. And so here is Elisha in front of these powerful people. He's like, why are you involving me? Why aren't you going to your father and mother's prophets? In other words, he's, he's sort of poking at them and saying, surely they're God's prophets. Which obviously for these kings, they know that they're in the wrong. They know that they're not where they're supposed to be. And so they come up with this excuse and they say, no, it was, it's the Lord's fault. He's the one who, who brought us together. Now he's handing us over to the king of Moab. Verse 14. 
he gets bold here. Elisha says, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. Now there's just rubbing it in their face a little bit. And he says, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, which I know you don't serve. Look what he says next. If I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would pay no attention to you. He's like, if it wasn't for that guy right there, I would have nothing to do with you. How's that for helping out three kings who are looking for help? In other words, he's saying, if you hadn't brought him along, I just closed the door and just completely dismissed you. Some translations literally say, I would have nothing to do with you. And what an amazing thing for these three kings. They're like, we need water. We need help desperately. Our troops are dying of thirst. And this king is going, you're just lucky he's here. You see, the reason is, Jehoshaphat at one time did serve the Lord. And Elisha is just reminding him, you know, you used to be in good standings with God, but you have strayed. You have wandered off. But out of respect for the fact that you used to serve the Lord, I'm going to give ear to what you're saying and what you come to me for. Elisha just calls it as he sees it. He knows that these men have wanted nothing to do with God until now. Now that they're in deep trouble, now all of a sudden they want God's help again. These three kings could have easily beaten the Moabites. These kings had superior armies. But the one thing that these kings could not do is make it rain. And that's the one thing they hadn't counted on. So they had superior armies. They would have taken on the Moabites and they would have won probably without much of a contest. But there was one thing that these kings were not able to do and that was make it rain. And I'm sure that many of us in this room, we have found ourselves in situations like that. We are going through our lives. We are, we are so in control of what's happening in our lives. We have, we have figured out how to live our lives. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves in that situation that everything else seems to be under our control. But now there's this one area of our lives we have no control over. And that's the way it was for these kings. They could not make it rain. This may have driven you and I to our knees in prayer. And suddenly, maybe for the first time in a long time, we're opening our Bibles. Or, or maybe haven't come to church in a long time, but now you, you find yourself in this situation that's beyond your control, and you are doing what these kings are doing. You are going back to God and searching for help and for direction. So here are these three kings, these powerful kings, and they're in front of this prophet, and all they wanted from this prophet was an answer. We need some direction. We need some input. And then Elijah changes his tune. He, he's ready to help these guys now. And look at what he says next, verse 15. But now, bring me a harpist. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, bring to me the most cumbersome ans uh, instrument that there would be to lug around the desert. And let me, let me hear some harp music. Let's, let's have some mood music, you know. Um, when you look at that, it may sound crazy to us, but it actually isn't that strange. Prophets would often prophesy with background music. You see, there's something about music. It, it soothes the soul. It, it's worship music. It, it draws us into the presence of God. 
I love music, and I love pretty much every genre of music. I'm, I can do screamo. I know some of you are like, what is screamo? If a certain friend of mine was here, he would be really excited right now. I can do that. I can do hip-hop. No, I mean, I can't hip-hop. I, I can listen to it, you know? You don't want to see me doing hip-hop. I can do rap music even. I can, I can listen to heavy metal music. I can do probably everything except for country. I just haven't... I've never needed to be that angry, so I've just never listened to country music as just not me. But there's something about music. If I go to the gym and I want to work out really hard, I don't throw in classical. Maybe you would, I wouldn't. I'm going to put in something with, you know, with a strong beat or with strong rhythm because it's a way for me to get myself going. And so there's something about music that, that draws us. And Elisha's saying, bring me a harpist because I need to be in tune with God. Look at the rest of this verse. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha. I love how Elisha's not rushed. He's like, okay, yeah, I, I see every minute that I take here, your guys are getting more and more thirsty. And, and every, every hour that I sit here and listen to this harp music while God begins to soften my heart to hear from him, I, I see you kings are getting more and more desperate. Elisha will not be rushed. And while the harpist is playing, God's hand comes upon Elisha. Verse 16, and then he said, these kings probably perked up and maybe one of the kings is like, I hate harp music. When will this end, you know? And, uh, you know, now all of a sudden, verse 16, Elisha's like, this is what the Lord says. These kings are wide awake now. This is what they came for. This is what they wanted. They're tuned in now. This is what we've been waiting for while the harpist was playing and while you're taking your time, Elisha. Finally, Elisha's like, this is what the Lord says. Look at the advice that Elisha gives them. Here's what God says. Make this valley full of ditches. Excuse me? Ditches? Elisha, we're dying of thirst. And the last thing our men should do is manual labor. We need to find trees to sit under. We need a cold breeze. We could use a downpour. What do you mean, fill this valley with ditches? Can you imagine for these kings, this is not what you wanted. This isn't what you came for. How is this helping us, Elisha? This is just taking more energy out of the people. Remember from last week? You don't have to fully understand to obey immediately. You don't have to fully understand to obey immediately. And God is now saying through Elijah, I want you to tell these kings to do something that is going to appear absolutely insane. It's going to look like there's no way of ever helping them. Go fill this entire valley full of ditches. Look at verse 17. Elisha continues, he says, For this is what the Lord says. Maybe now they're like, okay, some good news. <laughs> you will see neither wind nor rain. 
Can you just imagine these hearts of these, of these kings going, excuse me, so now we're supposed to go fill this place with ditches and we're not going to see any rain? He continues, yet the valley will be filled with water and you and your cattle and your other animals will drink. Verse 18. Now he's getting a little arrogant, a little cocky. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. And then he adds this little extra. And he will also hand Moab over to you. Elijah's like, you think this is difficult for God? You think, you know, bringing rain, you think filling this valley with water is a difficult thing for God? It's not difficult at all. As a matter of fact, this is an easy thing for the Lord. However, you're going to need to first dig some ditches. You're going to need For this plan to work, you're going to need to go and dig ditches because that is what God has asked us to do. Let's be honest with ourselves for a moment. I think this is normally where the plan falls apart for us. We might be something like this. Hey God, I really need something. I need a response from you. Hey God, here's what I need. And you outline specifically how and what you need from God. And you may even tell God, here's how I need you to answer my prayer. And then God comes around and says, okay, that's easy. That's a piece of cake for me. But before I do that, here's what I'm going to need you to do. And I think very often that's where the plan dies. Right there. Because we're not willing to do what we need to do. You see, the truth is this. We want to see God's faithfulness without having to exercise any faith. Let me say that again. I think very often we want to see God's faithfulness without having to exercise any faith. You see, God can send the rain. There's no problem. Elijah's like, that's an easy thing for God to do. But you have to dig the ditch. Now, Let's just ask the question, do you really think God needed these soldiers to dig these ditches? He could have just been boom, and ditches would have been all over in that valley. But God wanted to see these kings put their faith in him, put into works. He wanted to see if these guys were willing to put their faith fully in God, which would result in doing some work. James 2 verse 26 says this, Faith without works is dead. We want God so often to do everything. We want God to send the rain, and we want God to dig the ditches to collect the rain. We want God to do all of it. And God's saying, I'll send the rain, but you have to dig the ditches. Parents, you may be praying, saying, God, I want my children to serve the Lord. I want my children to grow up to be strong Christians. And yet you rarely open the Bible with them. So God, I'm not going to do any work to raise my children to serve you, but God, I'm praying that you will raise my children to love you. You may be in a lot of financial trouble, and so you're praying, God, I want you to help us financially, and yet you don't tithe. And you're saying, God, send more money so that we can mismanage even more of your money. 
Maybe you're out of shape, or you're not in very good condition with your health. And you're like, God, please help me get in better shape while you're sitting in front of the TV eating chips. Or maybe you're a single guy, and I'm just going to pick on the single guys because I'm not daring enough to pick on the single girls. Just see too many quick exits here, so I'll just go with the guys. So maybe you're a single guy, and you're praying, God, send me a wife, send me a wife, send me a wife, while you're playing your PS3. And you're just hoping some girl's going to come knock on the door and say, man, you're attractive. Want to marry me? Some of you guys may need to sell your Xbox, sell your PS3, sell your PS4. Some of you need to maybe move out of your parents' home, get a job, clean yourself up, take responsibility for your life, and then maybe God's going to say, now because of all you've done, check out the hottie. (laughs) Free advice, free advice. You see, folks, God can send the rain. God can send the rain, but you and I need to dig the ditches. God will do the supernatural, but we have to do the natural. Ridiculous faith is a question of whether we will do the work that God requires of us to do so that he can do what we cannot do. Remember Elijah, he's like, this is an easy thing for God. He's like, kings, if you're thinking God's up there scratching his head going, how am I going to pull this off? He's like, don't. This is easy for, uh, for God. And so luckily for these kings, they go and they dig ditches. Now look at verse 20. The next morning, about the time for offering the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. This makes us, if we didn't ask this next question, we would completely miss the point of this whole thing. So we have to ask the most obvious question ever. And the question is this. What would have happened had they only dug one small ditch? we got to ask the question. Imagine if the kings would have been like, no way, this is, re- this is just no good. We're not going there, we're not doing this, we're all tired, we're all thirsty, we're going to go sit in the shade. We're not digging any ditches. And maybe one soldier's like, I've heard about this Elijah guy, and he, he digs this one small ditch. Guess what would have happened? That one small ditch would have been filled with water, and guess what? It would have not been enough for everyone. And yet God sent the water. And the problem wouldn't have been what God did. The problem would have been what we didn't do. Is it possible that sometimes the reason it feels like God is silent in our lives is because we haven't dug any ditches? We're expecting God to do everything. We're hoping God's going to come and just dig the ditches, fill the ditches, dig more ditches, fill more ditches, and we're going to just sit back and just enjoy. And God's saying here, if you want me to come through, here's what I require of you to do. Now, I want to be very sure that you are not taking this the wrong way. Do not think that you can do something to force God's hand. That's not what I'm suggesting. God commanded these people, go dig ditches, and I will send the rain. 
What a beautiful thing for these guys to wake up and had dug all the ditches and now God had filled them all up. So folks, part of us changing our service times is us digging ditches. We have been praying that God would continue to bring more people here. And we believe that when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. We truly believe that God will build his church. So we need more room. We are not changing these service times for what we have. We are changing these service times for what God wants to give us. And I believe that God wants to continue to build his church. I believe that God wants to bring many people to know about Jesus Christ through this church. So we're going to dig some ditches. We're going to shuffle our service times around so that we have room for a lot more people than we do now. And I am waiting with anticipation on what God will do. I want to be part of that. And I know you do too. I want to see miracles happen. Or I want to continue to see miracles happen. And I want to see that happen in your own life. So you may need to take some things in your own life and say, God, what are you asking of me? What, are you, what is your requirement of me so that you can answer my prayer requests? What is it that you want me to do rather than just me hoping that you will do everything? We must be willing to do the work that God has called us to do so that he can provide the way that he wants to provide. Now, I will tell you, I will be a little disappointed if I come here next Sunday and that whole yard is full of ditches, or if I would drive by your house and your whole front yard and backyard is full of ditches and your wife calls me and says, Ike, you got to come over and talk to my husband. He is digging ditches. You've missed the point. I think you understand what I mean. In our own lives, are there some things that we can say, God, I know you will be faithful and I will show you that I believe that you will be faithful. I'm going to dig some ditches. These three kings came to Elisha with a request. We need water. And the answer was, go dig some ditches. It seemed at the time an answer that made absolutely no sense to the need that they had. But in the end, had they not dug those ditches, there would have been no place for the water to gather. And they would have still been thirsty. So I want to challenge you as an individual to see your life through this lens for a moment. Is there something you're asking God for? then maybe your response needs to be different to how you're asking. Maybe God is saying, oh yeah, you want to be restored. Restore that relationship, God. Restore that relationship. And maybe God's saying, okay, go say sorry. You're like, no, 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 God. You restore the relationship and God say, no, 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 go dig a ditch. Go say sorry. Or go say hi. You may be like, man, I need a job. I need a job. God, give me a job. And God gives you some answer that seems to make no sense. Go apply at such and such a place. And you're like, why would I apply at such and such a place? That's not the job I want. I want that job. I think you understand what I mean. Sometimes you and I have to be willing to do the things that God asks us to do, even when in that moment it seems that there's no connection to the prayer request that we have. Just like these kings, we need water, go dig ditches. Later on, good thing they dug the ditches because now they had lots of water.
Let's dig ditches as a church. Let's invite people we think will never come. Let's speak well. Let's not grumble while we dig. I think that kind of defeats the purpose. Let's do it with joy. Let's do it not as just looking. Imagine the soldiers, they're thirsty, and they're like, why are we digging? I need water. I don't need more labor. But they obeyed anyway. Rather than thinking of the labor that we're supposed to be doing, or rather than thinking of the labor that we have to do, let's think of the water that will one day fill those ditches. Because God, I believe, will be faithful. I know he will be faithful. And he will answer. And he will fulfill his plan for the church. And he will fulfill his plan for your life and for my life. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word and for the testimony of Elijah and Elisha and these kings and and the soldiers who dug these ditches. And what a beautiful example for us. Lord, I, I pray that each single person in this room, that we would be willing to do the things that you ask us to do even when those things may make no sense to us. I pray, God, that we would never just expect that you're going to accomplish everything in our lives and we can just go along for the ride. So, Lord, I know that many in this room are praying that, that you would send many more people into this church and that, you would, that many people would come to know you. What, what a great prayer request, Lord. What a great thing to ask for. But my heart can't but think that the answer to that may be us doing things that make no sense at this moment, but somehow by us loving these people and by us intertwining in their lives somehow, that it's a way for us to dig ditches, it's a way for us to make contact, it's a way for us to to prepare for the blessing that you are going to give. So my prayer for me, my prayer for every single person in this room is that our eyes would be focused on being obedient to you. And we would never lose sight of what you want to accomplish and the blessings that you want to give. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.